evening. Welcome to Let's Talk Vets. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> this program is produced by Vets for Vets, and I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg, USAF 1968-1972. Our mission is, as always, to provide news, entertainment, and information of particular interest to area veterans, active service members, and their families. Tonight, in the spirit of Memorial Day, we honor those who made the ultimate sacrifice in the war between the states, or if you're of a southern persuasion, the war of northern aggression. On Memorial Day, I visited with a group of young adults who brought history to life in Holmesdale. Also hear from Walt Gable, a Seneca County historian, who will explain to us the origins of our National Memorial Day observance. But first... Here are some notable dates in June. And June 6th, of course, uh, the anniversary of the World War II Allied invasion at Normandy, France, better known as D-Day. June 14th is Flag Day, a day set aside to commemorate the adoption of the United States flag. June 14th is also the Army birthday. June 16th is Father's Day. June 23rd, Coast Guard Auxiliary birthday. June 25th is the anniversary of the start of the Korean War. And June 27th is National PTSD Awareness Day, a day set aside to raise public awareness about the issues related to PTSD. Well, it's hard to believe, but our country was once extremely divided by ideology in a fight about states' rights. Sounds a little bit familiar, though. Today, we're once again very much divided along ideological lines and states' rights as well. And much like the years which enveloped the Civil War, the passion of opposing viewpoints is palpable. Writer and philosopher George Santayana said, quote, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. However, fading memories and loss of historical context are natural occurrences as generations pass, and some will argue that history is not addressed properly in our public education system. And some will say, well, perhaps it's the media. But certainly it's the passing of those who were first-hand witnesses to the event in question. So what is the answer? Well, to keep on remembering it and teaching it is obviously the answer. And to remember that Memorial Day is much more than barbecues, parades, and retail sales events. You may be surprised, as I was, to know that the official recognition of Memorial Day began not too far from here in Waterloo, New York, May 5th, 1866. Here's Walt Gable, Seneca County historian, to give us a brief history of this solemn observance. How 
Waterloo came to be recognized as the official birthplace of Memorial Day, as recognized by proclamation of Governor Nelson Rockefeller, then President Lyndon Johnson, and followed up by congressional resolution as the official birthplace of Memorial Day, those recognitions coming in 1966. And there's no small coincidence to that date because it was 100 years after the first real Memorial Day celebration took place in Waterloo, New York. A local druggist by the name of Henry C. Wells conceived of the idea that it was really vitally important that the local people take a day off from work and go to all of the cemeteries in Waterloo, place flowers and pine boughs on the graves of Civil War soldiers. We had 51 men of Waterloo die because of their service in the mil- in the Civil War. 51 men in a rather small community. And so on that day, May 5th, 1866, the first such celebration was held in Waterloo. There were red, white, and blue banners placed around town. All of the stores were closed. The people gathered. It was an extremely hot day, but they managed to go to every one of the cemeteries in the village, and they placed flowers and pine boughs on the graves of the Civil War soldiers. It was so hot, and the ordeal was so great that Henry Wells himself was actually taken physically sick and probably died a few months later because of the overexertion on that particular day. You're saying that the man that spearheaded this memorial effort actually followed through with it and it may have well cost him his health and life. Yes. Yes. And the next year, General John B. Murray was more actively involved. Now, he was a war hero, a local war hero, but he had also become the county clerk after the Civil War. And he knew General Logan, who was the commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, the national organization of Union veterans of the Civil War. And John Murray prevailed upon General Logan the idea that it would be appropriate for all Grand Army of the Republic chapters throughout the United States to hold similar kinds of Memorial Day celebrations. And Logan issued what became known as General Order Number 11, a commandment that starting the next year, that would have been 1868, that Every GAR chapter had to have some kind of Memorial Day observance. And the two major reasons why Waterloo is recognized as the official birthplace of Memorial Day is that starting in 1866, it held annually, every year thereafter, Memorial Day observances. And secondly, there was a direct connection between General Murray of of Waterloo and General Logan, the commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, issuing General Order Number 11 that all GAR chapters had to hold a Memorial Day observance annually starting in May of 1868. And you're listening to Let's Talk Vets on WJFF in Jeffersonville. It's 70 degrees outside. Um, And now it's time for a little bit of news.
Well, an update on the American Veterans Traveling Tribute Wall. As you probably already know, the AVTT Wall is coming to Sullivan County in September. This 360-foot replica of the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., will be available for viewing at Rock Park in Rock Hill from September 11th, beginning at 2 p.m., and will remain open 24 hours a day until the 15th at 2 p.m. This is made possible by the Sullivan County Veterans Coalition and is hosted by the Rock Hill Volunteer Fire Department. Volunteers will be on hand to help locate friends, loved ones, and relatives' names on the wall. Supplies will be available to capture a rubbing of those names. Recently, uh, we've learned of a few individuals pretending to be authorized representatives of the coalition going door-to-door collecting money. coalition is not collecting cash donations. The only way to donate is a tax-deductible check in any amount made payable to SCVC Wall Fund and mailed to SCVC Wall Fund, P.O. Box 1527, Monticello, New York, 12701. If you have any questions or comments, please direct them to the following individuals. Howie Goldsmith, and he can be emailed at goldsmithhow at yahoo.com, or he can be reached at 845-791-1030. Rocky Ortega, rqortega at yahoo.com, or 845-665-3171. Joseph Levy, one combat. 2004, one combat vet rather, 2004 at yahoo.com. He can be reached at 612 408 8639, or Gary Hill can be reached at 845 292 0741. You've heard of the Mission Act? Well, here's the skinny, so to speak. Congress and President Trump have made veterans a top priority and taken significant steps to strengthen the VA's ability to deliver the quality care and timely service Vietnam uh, and all veterans deserve. Secretary Wilkie has made implementing the Mission Act one of his top priorities. This legislation contains more than 50 sections intended to strengthen and improve VA's ability to deliver health care. Major components of the legislation include... Consolidating VA community care programs into a single program that provides much more access to care and is easier to navigate. Two, expanding eligibility for the program of comprehensive assistance to family caregivers. Three, strengthening VA's ability to recruit and retain the best medical providers. And four, strengthening the VA's infrastructure. Consolidating community care is one of the key objectives of the Mission Act and to ensure that veterans have access to health care when and where they need it. Even before the law was passed, the VA made major strides in expanding access to care. The VA now offers same-day service for primary care and mental health, and veterans can directly schedule appointments for mental health, audiology, optometry, podiatry, nutrition, wheelchair, and amputation care clinics without a referral. The Mission Act authorizes the VA providers to use telehealth technologies to provide care over state uh, state lines 
and into the veteran's home, allowing the VA to enhance accessibility, capacity, and the quality of health care. It also directs the VA to implement a pilot program to establish mobile deployment teams to address and improve care in underserved areas. As part of this process, VA is establishing accessing standards and standards for quality that apply to VA facilities and community providers. The process standards were announced January 30th, and they are based on analysis of best practices for government and the private sector as tailored to the needs of veterans. Veterans who access community care can expect a familiar process with several improvements through a new urgent care benefit, expanded eligibility criteria, and improved quality of care. Community providers can expect their interaction with the VA will get easier with new IT systems, better communications, and more timely payments. Expanding eligibility for the VA's program of comprehensive assistance to family caregivers under the Caregiver Support Program. Originally, this benefit program was only offered to eligible veterans who incurred or aggravated a serious injury in the line of duty on or after September 11, 2001. The Mission Act expands eligibility to eligible veterans and their caregivers from all eras. Under the law, expansion will begin when the VA recertifies to Congress that the VA has fully implemented required information technology systems. The expansion will occur in two phases, beginning with eligible veterans who in- included or incurred rather or aggravated a serious injury in the line of duty on or before May 7, 1975, with a further expansion beginning two years later. The VA is working to establish required systems and regulations to improve the uh, PCAFC and implementing changes required by the Mission Act. Caregivers and veterans can learn more about the full range of available support services and programs through the Caregiver Support System by visiting Caregiver Support Program or by contacting the Caregiver Support line toll-free at 855-260-3274. Strengthening the VA's workforce, the Mission Act gives the VA greater ability to recruit and retain the best medical providers through greater access to education debt reduction programs and improved flexibility for bonuses, recruitment, and relocation and retention. Nationally, there is a shortage of healthcare professionals, especially physicians and nurses. The Mission Act gives incentives to attract top providers, including increasing the maximum amount of the VA's educational debt reduction program from 120000 to 200000 over five years, not to exceed $40,000 per year, and authorizes that program to be used as a recruitment and retention tool for vet center employees serving in mental health positions. Directing VA to pilot scholarship program for eligible VA veterans to receive medical training in return for serving in a VA hospital or clinic for four years. Establishing peer specialists on VA-aligned care teams in at least 15 VA medical centers by May 31, 2019, and at least 30 VA med centers by May 31, 2020, to promote integration of services for mental health, substance use disorder, and behavioral health and primary care settings. Finally, strengthening the VA's infrastructure, 
uh, will strengthen the VA infrastructure and the property portfolio to align the infrastructure to the needs of America's veterans. It does this by establishing an independent nine-member Asset and Infrastructure Review Commission, the Air Commission, consisting of commissioners nominated by the President and confirmed by the Senate. Nominations to be provided to the Senate by May 31st, 2021. On his 29th birthday back in 2004, Staff Sergeant David Balavia almost single-handedly fought off a nest of insurgents during the Second Battle of Fallujah in Iraq. Later this month, he set to see the silver star he received for that action upgraded to the Medal of Honor, which would make him one of now seven Operation Iraqi Freedom Medals of Honor, all except his have been awarded posthumously. The White House began reaching out to Balavia's friends about attending the ceremony, and is, this was first reported by the American Legion's Burn Pit blog and confirmed by Army Times. Two Army spokespeople declined to confirm the upcoming award. Per protocol, the White House is the first office to make Medal of Honor announcements. His experience in Fallujah inspired the 2008 memoir, House to House. His actions date back to November 10, 2004, when the squad leader with A, a Company, 2nd Battalion, 2nd Infantry Regiment, 1st Infantry Division, and his platoon set out to clear a block of buildings that had been used as firing positions for jihadists during the battle. Upon entering the 10th building, they were set upon by insurgents. Balavia, carrying his M249 squad automatic weapon, briefly retreated outside to call for backup from a Bradley fighting vehicle. Hearing two insurgents screaming from the third story of the building, Sergeant Balavia put a chokehold on a wounded insurgent to keep him from giving up their position. According to the narrative from his Silver Star citation, the wounded jihadist then bit Sergeant Balavia on the arm and smacked him in the face with the butt of his AK-47. In the wild scuffle that uh, followed, Sergeant Balavia overcame the jihadist. Backup arrived within minutes, and in less than uh, men were ordered to get out of the building to make way for air support. Balavia is one of less than 100 Valor Awards to be upgraded after a 2016 Department of Defense review of more than 1,300 Global War on Terror Combat Earned Awards. He left the Army in 2005, but in years since, supporters have mounted a campaign to get a Silver Star upgraded, an effort supported by Representative Duncan Hunter, of Republican of California, Marine Reserve veteran, and then a member of the House Armed Services Committee. An announcement from the White House is expected within the week, the individual told Army Times. And that's all the time we have for news, but you're really going to like this next one. We continue with our Memorial Day theme. As history is brought to life by those who worked hard to learn it, on Memorial Day, Teresa Cahagis invited WJFF to attend the second annual Living History Oral Expression Contest at the historic Grace Episcopal Church in Holmesdale, which was built in 1854. Fourteen area high school students gave their interpretation of Civil War area speeches and addresses, letters, etc., The afternoon program was enhanced further by historical color commentary of George Kane, period music provided by Electra Cahagis and mandolin, 
and Leonidas Cahagis on fiddle and banjo, as well as several attendees in period uniform and costume. It was a fascinating program as these young people applied their own unique impressions to these historic records. Since that program would not allow us to air the entire event, the young adults you will hear from were indeed the winners of the competition. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming to Grace Episcopal Church, which is uh, the foundation of this event supporting the Delaware Company. They provide this beautiful space, which is, of course, a historic building, and it is contemporary to the words that you will be hearing today, which is, I think, extra special in bringing history to life. And we're really looking forward to these young people uh, breathing life into these words in this actual building. So um, I do want to mention that this event is created by the Delaware Company. Uh, the Delaware Company seeks to, uh, seeks to enhance uh, the understanding of our local history has events going on on both sides of the river, both the Pennsylvania side and the New York side. And um, <clears throat> so we also have to thank our sponsors. We have, uh, we have uh, the Dime Bank, who has been uh, eager, an eager sponsor, which is wonderful, SK Fire Sprinkler Design, uh, as well as Mr. Jen Chiripko, who is also a uh, director in the Delaware Company. <clears throat> I do want to mention it is Memorial Day and uh, we do want to acknowledge this uh, day and what it really does mean and uh, we really would like to bridge the gap between what seems to be at times a disconnect of the magnitude of certain events. Um, for example, uh, whether it's today is Memorial Day or actually the magnitude also of uh, the words from this period in history uh, that uh, should never be forgotten. We should not be disconnected from our history. I just would like to um, read a quick poem that was shared with me uh, by a veteran and, uh, and to acknowledge Memorial Day. Um, the poem goes as follows. It is the veteran, not the preacher, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the veteran, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the veteran, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the veteran, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to assemble. It is the veteran, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the veteran, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. It is the veteran who salutes the flag, who serves under the flag, and whose coffin will be draped by the flag. May we just take a moment to remember our veterans.
forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives so that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate. We cannot consecrate. We cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, nor long remember, what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people. This being Memorial Day, it's well, many people confuse it for just thanking our veterans for their service and stuff, which is a great thing. But I just mentioned in Gettysburg alone in three days was 53,000 Americans. That number, in reality, throughout all our wards is over a million. And being a veteran myself, I can honestly say this. The average veteran says, I didn't do anything special. I just did my duty. And look at the diversity and the difference of thought between all the people in this wonderful country. A veteran may not agree with what everything or people believe or say or do. Every one of them stood on that wall and says, you have that right, and that right will not perish so long as I'm on this wall, for I will protect you. Please, people, never forget, it doesn't matter whether he or she was a clerk pounding a typewriter or a Green Beret doing some secret clandestine mission along with CIA SAD groups, etc. Doesn't matter. Both those people signed on that line and gave a blank check to Uncle Sam and said, I'm willing to give you anything up to and including my life, which can also mean the destruction of my loved ones, my family, to protect this great country. When you look at the flag, 
You see a blue field, the sky, the stars, of course, representing all 50 states, maybe someday even some more. Started with 13, no reason we can't add more on. The white means the peace between the wars that we have, but the red, the red is the blood shed by our veterans and all those who helped defend and make this country what it is today. Their blood is on every single flag that we make. You can't separate the veteran from the flag. Veterans, if they pay the ultimate price, come home to their families draped under that flag. That flag means so many things. This country may have many failings, as what country doesn't? But this country is exceptional. How many other countries do you know, every couple of years, we can actually change a government with an election? Not one shot has to be fired. Isn't that amazing? Very few other countries in the world can claim that. Most countries are still fighting their own civil wars in between. But as a veteran, remember the reason we stood on that wall was for you. Thank you. Our next uh, contestant will be in the senior division, I guess, okay, would be Arjun Fulp, Lincoln's House, Divided Speech. So a little bit about this. Uh, the reason I got so excited about this speech was because it allows for a contemporary connection to words spoken over a hundred years ago and allows us to really see and exemplify you know, current issues in our society and within our government. But here it is. Mr. President and gentlemen of the convention, if we could first know where we are and whither we are tending, we could better judge what to do and how to do it. We are now far into the fifth year since a policy was initiated with a vowed object and confident promise of putting an end to slavery agitation. Under the operation of that policy, that agitation has not only not ceased, but has constantly augmented. In my opinion, it will not cease until a crisis shall have been reached and passed. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest the further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall, shall rest in the belief that it is in the course of ultimate extinction, or its advocates will push it forward till it shall become alike lawful in all the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. We cannot absolutely know that if any exact adaptations are the result of preconcert. But when we see a lot of frame timbers, different portions of which we know, have been gotten out at times in places that by different workmen, Stephen, Franklin, Roger, and James, for instance, and, we, and when we see these timbers joined together and see they exactly make the frame of a house or a mill, all the tenions and mortises exactly fitting, and all the lengths and proportions of the different pieces exactly adapted to their respective places, and not a piece too many or too few, not admitting even scaffolding. Or if a single piece be lacking, we see the place and the frame exactly fit and repaired, yet to bring such piece in. In such a case, we find it impossible not to believe that Stephen and Franklin and Roger and James all understood one another from the beginning and all worked upon a common plan or draft 
upon before the first blow was struck. Thank you. While our judges are still writing down their information, it's amazing. President Lincoln has done something by reading that excerpt you just had. It's probably one of the things that made him the most famous and one of our best presidents. You see, yes, he hated slavery, no question about it. And he wanted to be able to use his position to help abolish it. But the first thing he did was put the country's needs before his own wants. He needed to make sure the country wasn't divided and was whole again before anything else could be tackled. I ask you today, ladies and gentlemen, how many modern politicians would dare put the needs of the country before their own personal gain? That's one of the reasons why Lincoln is a great man. Okay. Okay, next we have Jacob Adaris? Adams. Adams, okay. <laughs> Uh, Lincoln's speech to the 164th and 166th Ohio regiments. So some context for the uh, speeches. Um, I will be reading them back to back, but the first one was to the 164th Ohio Regiment, and that was on August 18th, 1964. And the second one was the 166th, and that was August 22nd, 1864. So there's about a four-day period in between the two speeches. Soldiers, you are about to return to your homes and your friends after having, as I learn, performed in camp a comparatively short term of duty in this great contest. I am greatly obliged to you and to all who have come forward at the call of their country. I wish it might be more generally and universally understood what the country is now engaged in. We have, as all will agree, a free government where every man has a right to be equal with every other man. In this great struggle, this form of government and every form of human right is endangered if our enemies succeed. There is more involved in this contest than is realized by everyone. There is involved in this struggle the question whether your children and my children shall enjoy the privileges we have enjoyed. I say this in order to impress upon you if you are not already so impressed, then no small matter should divert us from our great purpose. There may be some irregularities in the practical application of our system. It is fair that each man shall pay taxes in exact proportion to the value of his property. But if we should wait before collecting a tax to adjust the taxes upon each man in exact proportion with every other man, we should never collect any tax at all. There may be mistakes made sometimes. Things may be done wrong, while the officers of the government do all they can to prevent mistakes. But I beg of you, the struggle is too large for you to be diverted from it by any small matter. When you return to your homes, rise up to the height of a generation of men worthy of a free government. My sincere thanks, soldiers, for the honor you have done me this afternoon. I suppose you are going home to see your families and friends for the service you have done in this great struggle in which we are engaged. I present you sincere thanks for myself and the country. I almost always feel inclined, when I happen to say anything to soldiers, to impress upon them in a few brief remarks the importance of success in this contest. It is not merely for today, 
but for all time to come that we should perpetuate for our children's children this great and free government, which we have enjoyed all our lives. I beg you to remember this, not merely for my sake, but for yours. I happen temporarily, temporarily to occupy this big White House. I am a living witness that any one of your children may look to come here as my father's child has. It is in order that each of you may have, through this free government, which we have enjoyed, an open field and a fair chance for your industry, enterprise, and intelligence, that you may all have equal privileges in the race of life with all its desirable human aspirations. It is for this the struggle should be maintained, that we may not lose our birthright, not only for one, but for two or three years. The nation is worth fighting for to secure such an inestimable jewel. Thank you. We are now going to have Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural speech by Leo Cahagis. I will be giving Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address, which was originally delivered on March 4th, 1865. Fellow countrymen, at this second appearing to take the oath of the presidential office, there is less occasion for an extended address than there was at the first. Then, a statement somewhat in detail of a course to be pursued seemed fitting and proper. Now, at the expiration of four years, during which public declarations have been constantly called forth on every point and phase of the great contest, which still absorbs the attention and engrosses the energies of the nation, little that is new could be presented. The progress of our arms, upon which all else chiefly depends, is as well known to the public as to myself. And it is, I trust, reasonably satisfactory and encouraging to all. With high hope for the future, no prediction in regard to it can be made. On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, all thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it, all sought to avert it. While the inaugural address was being delivered from this place, devoted altogether to saving the Union without war, insurgent agents were in the city seeking to destroy it, seeking to dissolve the Union, and also divide effects by negotiation. Both parties appreciated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive, would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. One-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was, somehow, the cause of the war. To strengthen, perpetuate, was the object for which the insurgents would rend the Union, even by war. While the government claimed no right to do more, than to restrict the territorial enlargement of it. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with, or even before, the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph 
and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not, that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses, which, in the providence of God, must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war. As the woe due to those by whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn by the lash, shall be paid by another, drawn with a sword, as was said 3,000 years ago. So still, it must be said. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, and charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just, a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Thank you. Okay, well, uh, that will be the finish of the speakers. We're going to have a little music in the middle here. We'll be waiting for the judges to uh, decide uh, where they want to place different things. I thank you again for your patience. I especially uh, want to thank you for coming out and supporting these young people. He hopes to have uh, one of these contests, at least one a year. Uh, this is the second. We will be getting the word out and hope that you will tell uh, your neighbors and friends and those who also may have a passion for history to come on out and uh, listen to the words of the past brought to life by uh, our young people who um, are the light of our future. So I just wanted to thank you. If you don't mind to just give them one more round of applause just for their participation. And if you could just bear with us for a few moments.
So first of all, I'd like to ask for a round of applause for all our participants. What a great job today. And I know you've clapped many times for Teresa, but I think she deserves another round of applause for her work. And if you don't mind me plugging myself, uh, the Delaware Company is the main sponsor of this program. I'm the president, John Conway, and uh, our executive director, my wife, Deborah, is also here. Okay. And how about a round of applause for my fellow judges as well? Very hard job to do. The three of us were here last year. We it was the first time we'd done something like this, and I was really surprised last year at how close we were, even though we don't collaborate during the, the scoring. I was convinced that I was going to have outlying scores, but we were all pretty close again. So it uh, goes to Lake LeClaire. Lake? <laughs> Trophies are right there. Terrific job, Lake. By the way, one of the highest scores of the day. Congratulations. And first place, Electric Hages for the Gettysburg Address. And I might also add that Electra had the single highest score of the afternoon. Congratulations. In the senior high division, third place, Arjun Falk. Second place, Jacob Adams. Great job. Congratulations. And first place goes to Leonidas Cahages. So I think Abraham Lincoln was well represented here today, and I suppose that's appropriate. And you're listening to Let's Talk Vets, WJFF, and uh, we apologize for the technical issues here. Not sure what happened, but we will fill you in nevertheless. Um, we want to gratefully acknowledge the following people and organizations that contributed to this segment. Uh, Walter Gable, Seneca County historian, Teresa Cahagis, 
high school orators. There were 14 students. However, we didn't have time to do them all. The winners were Electric Cahagis, first place junior division, Lake Leclerc, second place junior division, Leonidas Cahagis, first place senior division, Jacob Adams, second place senior division, and Arjun Fulp, third place senior division. The Delaware Company and the contest judges were John Conway, Sullivan County uh, historian, Amy Lessick, Honesdale High School English teacher, uh, Todd Miller, head of social studies, retired head of social studies at Honesdale High School, and George Kane was the MC. We also need to acknowledge Military Times and Sullivan County Veterans Coalition for their contributions in making this program come alive. See if we can fit in a few more news stories here for you. Over the past eight months, the Russian military has reportedly been expanding and building up its forces and infrastructure in Crimea. The U.S. intelligence officer told Defense One that Russia was conducting a deliberate and systematic buildup of forces on the peninsula. The combat radius overall, Ukraine and beyond the Black Sea, it significantly increases their strike options and potentially extends the Middle East, the official said. Russia annexed Crimea, a peninsula south of the Ukraine, in 2014 in a move that roiled Europe and led to increased tension between the U.S. and Russia. Russia has indicated it has no plans to ever return to uh, ever return Crimea to the Ukraine, despite pressure from the U.S. to do so. There have been previous reports of Russia building up its military presence in the region. Sarah Bidgood, director of Eurasia Nonproliferation Programs at Middlebury College, said she thinks that the buildup makes a really dangerous environment. For the region. This is a significant buildup, and NATO is going to have to be under increasing pressure from allies in the region to show it's able to push back against Russian attempts to 
uh, gain greater control of the Black Sea. Thank you for joining us tonight, I think, <laughs> on Let's Talk Bets. Thanks for dropping by. Uh, please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future shows. Also, send us your upcoming events so that we may get them on the air in both our normal public service announcement segments and this program. You can email us at vets at wjffradio.org, where you can leave us a voicemail at 845 431 6,500. Stay tuned for Brad Mann. Until next time, I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. And then I raise my hand and say, actually, I was raised by a gay couple, and I'm doing pretty well. I scored in the 99th percentile on the ACT. I'm actually an Eagle Scout. I own and operate my own small business. If I was your son, Mr. Chairman, I believe I'd make you very proud. I'm not really so different from any of your children, because the sexual orientation of my parents has had zero effect on the content of my character. Thank you very much. Clips and music on same-sex marriage on the next book plus, Saturday at noon. It's me, LG, your sole provider, reminding you to tune in every Thursday night at 10 for three hours of great soul music from back in the day. We start off up-tempo, and after 11, we go downstairs into the basement where the blue lights are on. So tune in Thursday at 10 p.m. for Soul Spectrum. I gave my heart and soul to you. Support comes from you and from the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, riverreporter.com. Support comes from you and from Wayne Memorial Hospital and Wayne Memorial Health System, more than 200 health care providers serving residents in Wayne, Pike, and eastern Lackawanna counties in Pennsylvania and the upper Delaware region of New York State, WMH.org. And this is WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello, community radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania, one minute to eight o'clock here in Jeffersonville, 68 degrees and a few clouds in the sky. Those clouds continuing tonight, but a chance of rain overnight, low of 51, 100% chance of rain tomorrow, high of 60 degrees. Those showers continuing into Thursday night and into Friday, 40% chance, low of 50 tomorrow night, high of 63 on Friday. Partly cloudy Friday night with a low of 48, and then Saturday, mostly sunny, high of 74. Saturday night, Sunday, and Sunday night back to showers. Stay tuned for Neonatal Pulse right here at 8 o'clock. All new music, and then at 10 o'clock will be all songs considered, and then return to the source after that. 
a wonderful Wednesday evening of music here in Jeffersonville on WJFF 90.5 FM Radio Catskill. Support comes from you and from the Law Office of John Ferrara in Monticello, New York, providing legal services in the areas of matrimonial and family law and criminal defense. John.Ferrara557 at gmail.com. Support comes from Rafters Tavern, Calicoon, New York, an intimate gathering place for food, music, and fun. Rafters Tavern on Facebook. Yeah. Hey. 